in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them toxic suckers like the f***ing players. Hey, Ozzy, what do you think about me getting a diamond, a diamond tooth? Go for it. Okay, there we go. Go for it. Okay. There we go. It's Joey Vada from the Reds last night, or actually yesterday. Reds take care of the Braves. Uh, talking during the game, in-game interviews. Saw a bunch of people on Twitter. Get off my lawn, guys. I absolutely loved it. I think they should do this all the time. I, I would love for guys talking as the ball's rolling towards them and like having to make a double play. What did you think of Joey Vaught, and what do you think of these in-game interviews? Oh, the more the better. Come on. Yep. Connect fans to the game. Connect fans to what's going on on the field. It's amazing to me that we had to go through the whole thing this year of, wow, the umpires are actually going to announce the results of the replay? Like, yeah, let everybody on the baseball field. Yeah, I don't... I. Well, I know why, because it's get off my lawn, guys. But, man, I thought it was terrific. I want them to do more of that. Um, also, quickly, on the on the pitching now, the calling the pitching with the electronics, are you are you all for that um, in terms of instead of putting down the signs? Pitchcom is a wonderful idea. Oh, man. Did you, did you hear it? Did you play the little uh, audio to hear what it sounds like in the pitcher's hat when he gets the, no. gets the signal? Is, is it uh, numbers? What I mean? No, it actually, it, it's a little voice that goes, curveball. You know, like, like really? it really tells them exactly what the pitch is supposed to be. So, yes, absolutely, let's do it. Arguments over things like sign stealing are the stupidest arguments. And also, if we can make sure that Tyler never again gets to celebrate, that would be awesome because if the Astros can't <laughs> steal signs, they can't win. Next question. Uh, Steve Lavin has been hired as the USD men's basketball coach. So Lab gets back in, Adam. I think this is a situation. So let me talk about San Diego for a second in terms of USD. This is a program that hasn't been good in a long time. I don't know where Lab's uh, recruiting base now sits. But he's going into a league where Gonzaga and St. Mary's has it going so well. And now San Francisco, though, with uh, Golden gone, we don't know how they're going to be, right, in terms of uh, if they're going to continue on. Um, But he's going into a league where if he can't recruit well, I mean, this is just just him trying to come back in and coach. He hasn't done it, I think, in 15 years. That is a hard, hard job. It's a great – my daughter goes to school there. It's a great location. It's a a beautiful place. But when it comes to basketball – um, they're in a league where you are behind the eight ball. And I think one of the, I want to ask your opinion on this. Uh, you ref games and you've been around basketball your life in that kind of league. I think Randy Bennett figured it out. He said, okay, probably not going to be Gonzaga and the top high school kids. And now the portal kids. So I'm just going to go get Australians and I'm going to get, you know, a bunch of kids overseas and we're going to win that way. Is that what Lavin has to do? Does he have to find some unique way? Because I don't think he can just go recruit high school kids and maybe even portal guys. It's so hard to get guys in the portal now who are good because you're fighting so many teams. How can Steve Lavin win at USD? What's the one thing USD has among its alums and among its uh, athletic donors that a lot of schools don't? They got cash. 
Yeah, I know. I, I get those calls all the time from the uh-huh. fundraising people, and I don't answer them because it says USD fundraising. And you know as well as anybody, Ed, because you have a connection to the school. They got money. So what they have now is they have a name coach, and they have money that can be thrown into NIL deals. And I think that's why Steve Lavin is there, because I don't know that Steve takes this job if it's not the transfer portal era. I think Steve Lavin can use the money that he's going to have around him at USD. And I'm not talking about anything nefarious. I'm talking about playing within the rules. But I'm saying the transfer portal allows him to compete on a lot more even footing, I think, than trying to get a guy on, on you know, a two-year, three-year, four-year scholarship to come play at USD. Although, hey, the, I mean, the Jenny Craig Center is a nice place. Oh, yeah. Slim Jim? It's not a bad place. It's, I mean, he's. I, I don't. I think the Slim Gym is kind of also their practice facility, so they haven't made that jump yet. I'll tell you one thing. I was surprised at, and maybe because it's Lavin, especially at USC, the salary is eight hundred to a million. Like that kind of sh- that kind of shocked me. And I know that school has money, but if you're paying eight hundred to a million, you'd think the guy you're hiring a guy that you would hope to get you at least competitive with Gonzaga. And I, you know, who I forgot. I forgot about BYU also. That's a tough lead to go into with that many good teams. Oh, absolutely. And the way Todd Golden raised the standard at USF before he left, like you're talking about a number of teams that could be competitive in that league this year. So, yeah, I I know that it's going to be a challenge, but I also, you know, I mean, you and I both have watched this sport long enough to watch Steve Lavin have success in multiple places. Like it's it's not impossible. But in that league, I do think it's the challenge that you say it is. Next question. Uh, Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton have joined Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL. Uh, Wilkes was an Arizona Cardinals head coach for one season in 18. Horton, NFL assistant. You remember Brian Flores suing the NFL for racial discrimination and its hiring practices. So he's added two more to the longtime complaint. Um, Is this going to be a situation where more and more guys jump on board here? I don't know, honestly, Ed. But what I think is remarkable about what happened yesterday is that we get the information about Mike Malarkey with the Tennessee Titans. And in 2016, Mike Malarkey, a whitehead coach, was ultimately uh, told before the Rooney Rule interviews were even done that he was going to be hired. And that goes along with everything we've heard about the sham Rooney Rule interviews from Brian Flores and others. And I, I'm curious to see how the league reacts to a whitehead coach saying these things. Okay because this has been about discrimination and the need for diversity in the league, which I think is well-documented and Brian Flores is right about. But what we have now is someone different to listen to. We have a white head coach speaking up and saying, yeah, by the way, this actually happened and I don't feel good about it. I feel wrong about the way this went down. And we're getting to the point where there's going to be smoke signifying fire before too long here, right? I don't know how many more coaches we're going to see jump into this thing because I'm sure a lot of coaches feel like it's career suicide. But at the same time, you know, we're seeing that this is definitely not just Brian Flores talking about one situation. Man, you know, that's a great question. UFC star Conor McGregor facing six charges for allegedly driving offenses in Ireland. Charged with six offenses uh, Thursday in district court. How about this? Two counts of dangerous driving, driving without a license, failure to produce a license, driving without insurance, and failure to produce insurance records. A court spokesperson spokesman said passed uh, passed all the tests for intoxication and otherwise at the scene. Um, 
do we miss Conor McGregor? He he tweets out three weights moving up, the one and only ever to do it. I look, I don't know you. I I'm gonna be completely transparent here. I don't follow UFC on a weekly basis. I know they have cards on a weekly basis. But Conor McGregor, and I'm not sure if you do, Adam. Do we miss him? Does the sport miss him, or are they, you know, they're okay if he just has a bunch of car uh, violations in Ireland? No, and and I've been very clear about this in the past. I'm not a UFC guy. I don't follow it. Um, it's just not really my my level of interest. I'm just I'm Ed. To your question, I'm constantly amazed with guys like McGregor and Floyd Mayweather how willing everyone is to not care what goes on when he's not fighting. Right. Um, and Conor McGregor. It's well documented the the issues that he's had. Same as Floyd and. People don't give a damn as long as he puts on an entertaining product and as long as UFC continues to give him a stage to do so. So, I mean, if you're one of these guys, you probably feel pretty bulletproof. This kid's driving like me, Jared. From Ireland as well. I'm out. Uh, I found this interesting because I think Freddie Freeman, from the outside looking in, kind of had this persona of Mr. Bray before he went to the Dodgers and, like, the, the great guy. Maybe he still is. It might be a Ronald Acuna issue. But Ronald Acuna acknowledged an internal rift with former teammate Freddie Freeman during an interview late Wednesday, said there's nothing he's going to miss about him. Lots of clashes, lots of clashes. To be honest, I think it was just exaggerated and blown out of proportion by the media. But he goes, I didn't see anything bad, but I did disrespect him. I talked about what happened in 2018. I guess when he came up a rookie – he said there's also someone, also uh, always someone who wants to tell you how to do things. You come up from the minor leagues, and it's like, hey, do this, don't do that. A lot of v- veterans picked me. Let me ask you this from two points, because Freddie Freeman, to me, uh, again, from the outside looking in, won the World Series, great guy, saw him on Country Music Awards, and he kind of made the chicken dinner roundup. Were you surprised at this? When I saw this, I was surprised that Freddie Freeman was the guy he pointed out. But, again, we're not in the clubhouse every day, and what we see on TV is not always, you know, uh, depictive of what the real situation is. And to put a little more context to this, Freddie Freeman was then asked about this on MLB Network, and Freddie Freeman said, you know, I don't have any animosity toward Ronald, um, but when Ronald was coming up, he said, these aren't my rules. The Braves have certain rules about how you wear your hat and do your sunglasses cover the logo and how long is your, you know, not uh, length of your hair and whether or not you have the eye black worn a certain way. And he said, so, you know, some of us veterans felt like it was our responsibility to, you know, to enforce that stuff. And that's where I think the leak is in this. No, it's not. It's an organizational rule and there's a manager and there's a coaching staff. Like, if you think that's leadership, to me, I don't think that's leadership at all. I think you're trying to prove a point to the kid. But I'm not surprised to your question because think about, that organization think about brian mccann and him standing in front of home plate not liking how someone celebrated a home run right like this is an organization that you can feel it's part of the culture for some of its players to feel like there's a right way to play the game i'm tired of the right way to play the game i want ronald acuna to wear his eye black any old way he wants i want young players to celebrate any way they want that's ridiculous to me that the players feel like it's on them to do what they did. Freddie Freeman and some of these veterans went in and wiped the eye black off Ronald Acuna. That's demeaning. Yeah. 
No, you're right. I just, I mean, I, I like the Votto uh, at first base. I like these guys celebrating. And again, what is the one thing about baseball? And I know it's become a cliche now. It's like, oh, you got to get a younger audience. Well, if you got to get a younger audience, then these are the things you need to let through. Uh, you know, I can't tell you that. Uh Watching uh, Rabbits yesterday, and they're predicting the divisions. I want to ask you about this because Max Scherzer and Degrom are hurt. Scherzer was scratched, although I, he's going to be back sooner and later. I assume we know Degrom is going to miss the most of uh, at least four weeks. Should we be not sleeping on the Mets with these happening already? Oh man, I just love when these things happen to the Mets. I do. <laughs> I really do. I can't get past it. Uh, Steve Cohen basically went out there and said, I'm going to spend like a drunken sailor. Tax me any way you want. And karma said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. You're the Mets. This is still going to be the New York Metropolitan's organization. I don't care if the Wilpons own this team or anybody else owns this team. You're going to try to have nice things, and we are not going to let you do that. (laughs) Well, it also would be the first time Steve Cohen's ever paid taxes, so. But um bum I'm here all week. Makeup stuff. Uh, MLB allow teams to sell jersey ads in 2023. The NFL is the only major sports league in the U.S. without a jersey ad. They're going to sell helmet ads. Ten- teams can sell patches on the sleeve for ads. This doesn't uh, get to me much. I-, I don't care either way. I know the NBA has done this um, in terms of selling ads now on uh, baseball helmets and sleeves. I won't worry about it too much. I mean, it's another way to make money for them. Does this bug you at all? At hockey helmets, too, by the way. Well, um, the gold chrome? Yeah, oh, those things. I, I, no, I could go down the road on the gold helmets. I'm not doing it. Um, yeah, it doesn't really bug me a whole lot. And what it kind of takes me back to, and, and this is something that did bug me, and I know that both of us with the, with the newspaper background, you remember the very first time you saw your newspaper sell an ad on the front page? Yes, I do oh, remember Oh, God. Yes, I do remember that, yeah. That, that was the weirdest the looking thing crashing. I've ever seen. The world was coming to an end. Right. The world was crashing yep. down. Yep. Right. Oh, my God. They sold this two-inch strip at the bottom of the front page. <laughs> yeah. And, and I laugh about being offended by something like that, you know, in, in 2022. Like, good. Sell as many ads as you want. Just keep the paper open. Uh, and now I kind of feel the same about sports. Like, yeah, whatever. I I get bombarded by advertising no matter what what I'm doing with TV, watching sports or watching it a game. You don't have a sight line that doesn't have an ad, and it, it, it is what it is. All right, speaking of the gold chrome helmets, when we come back, we'll get into a little VGK. We didn't get Adam's thoughts on what the hell happened the other night. We'll do that next. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas featuring Adam Candy. Paul Gutierrez, ESPN at 8.30 to talk Raiders. Uh, Cassie Soto at 9.30. We have no idea we're going to talk to her about Never do. Uh didn't get to talk to you coming off the terrible loss, 5-1 to the Canucks. First time they've lost to the Canucks in regulation, I believe. I believe that was the stat uh, in 13 times. Um, you know the Golden Knights well. It was awful. DeBoer said it. Everyone said, flush it, flush it. Terrible, terrible time for that to happen. I mean, we were saying yesterday that, you know, Shane Knighty said these things happen. Well, you know what? You can't let them happen now. And here's the other thing. They're not getting much help from the other people. Um, last night, uh, Edmund beats the Kings, so you get a little help in the Kings. Nashville wins. Um, Dallas loses, but it's an overtime to Toronto. They pick up a point there. This is getting a little dicey, wouldn't you think? I understand where Shane Knight is coming from. Ed, to say, yeah, it does happen, but the problem is the situation the Golden Knights put themselves in. You're in a spot where this can't 
It, right. it just it can't because of the fact that you've backed yourself into this corner. But what stood out to me the most about this game, Ed, was I really was curious. I was out there uh, for the game and I wanted to see how the fans reacted. I wanted to see how they felt about this team. Now that they had a five game winning streak going. And I don't know what you guys think, but I felt some energy in that building for the first time in a while. I felt like the fans were ready for something good. And they got it. Jack Eichel gave them 10 great minutes to start the game. They get the goal. They're up one nothing. It feels like, all right, here come the Golden Knights. And then, I mean, you can't even say they laid one egg. Like, they, they laid every Easter they egg out Five there. of them. Uh, yeah, five of them in a row is probably a good way to put it. The Golden Knights played terribly. I mean, you can, and you can run down the line. Uh, the penalty that Ben Hutton took, yep. uh, the giveaway by Alec Martinez, a lazy back check by Keegan Colasar for the third goal, Eichel losing Pedersen in front of the goal on the fourth goal, it, just over and over again. It was the mental mistakes by the Golden Knights, and to me, that was the damning part. The mental mistakes from a team that had had three days off to come into this game felt like uh, they were a little bit alarming. Inability on the five-on-three, inability on the oh, other yeah, power play. Oh, yeah, great point. Um, they just couldn't do anything. It was so, so disappointing and deflating um, given what they need to do. These are some odds uh, that Sinbin put out yesterday on points percentage necessary to remaining games to reach 97 points. I guess 97 points they're making the the magic number. Um, VGK set, has to play at a 750 clip. The Kings 550, Dallas 538. Nashville has to play at a 500 clip. And Edmonton, who's I now won six straight, um, seem pretty locked into the two or three spot. They only have to win 45% of their remaining games. I don't know sitting here, and we're going to talk about Stone and Pacioretty in a second. I don't know sitting here after watching the other night. I know they get Arizona Saturday. They have to go back to Vancouver for like the third game in five games against Vancouver. But then they go Edmonton. They go Calgary where they give up eight, eight goals a game no matter what the situation is. I don't know if they can play at a 750 clip. I don't know who can play at a 750 exactly. clip. Colorado Avalanche can't play at a 750 <laughs> clip. Nobody can do that. I mean, they, at this point, if you look at the way it breaks down, with Edmonton beating the Kings last night, I think if you're the Golden Knights, you need to be laser-focused on the Los Angeles Kings. Yes. That's it. That's your chance to make the playoffs. Edmonton's not coming back to earth. McDavid has gone absolutely nuclear here over the last couple of weeks. He's not going to let this team miss the playoffs. And I don't know that the Golden Knights can keep up with that kind of pace. So now you say, oh, well, you know, eh, whatever. They got Arizona coming in. They should, they should beat Arizona. Okay, they should beat Arizona. They shouldn't have lost to the the Canucks 5-1 to one right, right. the other night. So, yeah, I, I think this is a, a hugely tall task for the Golden Knights. Would you play Stoner Patch Ready at 70 or 80% if they want to go? Yes, absolutely I would. I mean, Ed, you've seen it. How uncomfortable do those guys look sitting in the press box right now? They they look like they are champing at the bit to get back into these games, and I don't know that you're risking a lot of long-term damage here uh, if you put them back in at 80%. Now, of course, only they know how healthy they are because in hockey, you know, injuries are treated like state secrets, so we have no idea how healthy anybody is. But if you're the Golden Knights and you're $15 million over an $80 million salary cap, your message is we're trying to win now. Right. If you're trying to win now, guys play at 80%. Uh, I want to ask you this, and I didn't look. I didn't think it was Robin Leonard's fault the other night. I thought, like you said, the defense in front of him was horrible. If it goes down the road, though, of him struggling, 
Is he locked in? Is is this who it is for the playoffs? I think it is, but everyone's going to come back to Logan Thompson now as well as he's played. I think they only have one more back-to-back, which I assume we'd see Logan Thompson again. Um, but give me your thoughts on what you've seen Leonard since he's come back. He took another one off the neck the other night. This guy can't get away, can't get away from getting hurt or injuries. Not, you know, a lot of them not his fault. It's the position he plays. Um, but other than the back-to-back, if he falters, is there any chance Logan Thompson can take over the number one spot? I don't think he could. I think if they get in the playoffs, it's Leonard the entire way. But I, I, I think he looks shaky, but I don't know. Here's the other guy. I don't know if he's 100%. And we asked Darren Millard last week when you were at the Final Four uh, about this. I said specifically hockey is the sport where the hot hand plays. Mm-hmm. And Darren said, you know, that really is true. The hot hand does play. And I think what you're going to see is that Logan Thompson's going to get another start here before very long, whether it's against Arizona or when they go back on the road. I think you've got to throw Logan Thompson back in there and just see, is this the button to push? Because Pete DeBoer has tried pushing every button. We heard in the in-game interview uh, with Alec Martinez when they were up in Seattle, they asked Alec Martinez and said, well, what happened between the first and second period? You guys were really flat then. You came out and you were awesome. And he said, well, you know, basically uh, Pete really got into us pretty good. And Okay, so Pete DeBoer has tried flipping over the trash cans, right? After the game, when David Shane asked him, well, was it about this against Vancouver? Was it about that? Uh, he basically said, look, it was everything. We were terrible. Like, we weren't any good. But he didn't say it angry. He just said it like, what do you want me to say? We're awful, right? Pete DeBoer has tried pushing all of the different buttons right now, and I think Logan Thompson might be the next button to push. That'll be interesting. Um, I, boy, I tell you what, he. I know that he, when the decision was made on which one to go with, he went with Robin Leonard, the younger guy, but with the injuries and everything and um, Logan Thompson playing well, I'm sort of with you. I think I'm on your side. I think you play him against Arizona and see. You know, he's had a couple games off. Let's see if he comes back, if he can be the same goalie that he was when he left now that Robin Leonard's back in there. But I don't understand why you wouldn't give him a shot again. I, I He was playing so well, Adam, that um, I think he should get a crack at it. I don't think he will. I think they're going to stay with Leonard in, except for the back-to-back. But I'm with you on that. You go with a hot hand, and I, it'll be interesting to see. Let's say he plays against Arizona. It'll be interesting to see a couple days off because I think he's gotten in his mind, am I number two, you know, Leonard's back. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he responds if he does get a play Saturday night. Well, Ed, I just find it fascinating that here we are at the end of the season in 2022, and we're having a discussion about are the Golden Knights going to be loyal to their number one goaltender? Good stuff there. All right. <laughs> Press box transition. When we come back, it'll be Paul Gutierrez. We'll get into some football and some Raiders. What about Derek Carr? We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Regrets there from Mike Malarkey. Please be joined now, though. Follow him on Twitter at P. Gutierrez ESPN as Paul Gutierrez covers the Raiders for ESPN. Hey, Paul. What's up, guys? How you doing on this beautiful, well, gross morning? Yeah, we're, try- we're, we're, trying to find the sweet- <laughs> we're trying to find the sweet spot. We're trying to find the sweet spot. Find the sweet spot. The now sweet spot. Words of the day I can see. What uh, bring <laughs> us? Bring us. What do you think's happened here? We talked to Ben Brown from PFF in terms of, is it guaranteed money with Derek Carr? Is it I want forty, we'll give you thirty? Is it more likely term, where it's like I want five, we'll give you two? We're going to draft a quarterback and groom somebody. Like if you had to make a guess, or is it just you know what this is going to happen anyway, and there's no no reason to worry about it. I think it's a combination of all of it. And having been at the NFL owners meetings, uh, what, a week and a half or so ago, 
it, it was interesting to me how the tones kind of change, how how the good cop, bad cop kind of rolls between uh, Dave Ziegler and, and uh, Josh McDaniels change. Because in that opening presser, it seemed like Josh was more the guy. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. He's our guy. And Dave seemed like he was the more pragmatic guy. And it kind of flipped at the meetings where Josh was like, look, we're looking for that sweet spot and we got to find it. And he's definitely, you know, we can win with him, but we got to figure all these other things out. So it, there's negotiating going on. You saw that Derek's uh, agent took immediately took to Twitter to, to, to requote that quote and say, well, of course, these are the things we're going to continue to negotiate. So um, it, it's a combination of a lot of things. And obviously, Devontae Adams would not have come without some sort of assurance that Derek Carr would have been his guy uh, going forward. But the, the Raiders need to take care of some things. And, and in the article I wrote over a month or so ago that, uh, you know, presumably ruffled a few feathers. I mean, there's different ways to look at it with Derek. I mean, do you pay him for what he's deserved? Do you pay him uh, for what you think is going to happen down the road? With quarterbacks, you usually pay him with what they've already accomplished. So um, I I don't think there's any hesitancy that there's going to be an announcement made sometime soon. Um, Because they can, you know, they have the cap room. They're going to get another $20 million back on the books uh, come June 1st. But, you know, by doing different things with this contract, we can create the room right now to make it happen. So long answer, short question. Uh, yeah, I think it's a combination of everything right here with, with Derek and the extension. And, Paul, you kind of referenced the ruffled feathers and you, you experienced that directly with this. Uh, how much does the nature of the world around Derek Carr affect the way Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler have to approach this because we know that whether it's the agent, the family, Derek himself, they're not shy about putting their thoughts out there in public. Yeah, but Derek has also said that he'll go down with the ship, that he's a Raider for life, that he's not in it for worldly goals. Um, so that's the other part of it too, right? I mean, you got to, there's a lot of bluster that's out there and there's always negotiating tools. And then, you know, you can't really blame anybody for, for doing and saying what they need to do in the moment. Um, but, but, yeah, I think there is a lot of that. And, and, you know, when you look back at Josh McDaniel's past, I mean, he went through a similar situation in his first go-round as a head coach. Granted, it was a lifetime ago in Denver when he had a veteran, got rid of the veteran, and then drafted Tim Tebow, and that thing just blew up in his face. So it's, it's, it's interesting um, to see exactly what's going on with Derek and, and, and the quarterback situation. He is a franchise guy. He does own every uh, record in the um, – and basically every rec- passing record in franchise history. So it's a very delicate dance. But at the same time, you got to be like, look, we're not going to break the bank for, for you. I mean, they did last time. And, and it was interesting to me. What I thought was most interesting was the last time as an organization, the Raiders took care of the quarterback, and they let the start defensive player kind of sit there. And that didn't, you know, Khalil Mack demanded a trade two years later, or a year later, really. Uh, this time they took care of the defensive player, Max Crosby. And, uh, again, no doubt in my mind they're going to take care of Derek at some point, but the timing of it is what was interesting to me. Does he not show up Monday? That is a big question, uh, because that, if he didn't, and, again, you've got every, you know, you've got all the reasons in the world to sit back and say, oh, it's not a holdout if he doesn't show up right, because it's right. voluntary. Right. But, but that would fly in the face of everything he's ever done, right? He's never yeah. missed anything. So how can you not describe it as such? And again, we're, we're talking about potentials here, so I'm not saying it's, he's not going to be there or he is going to be there, but if he doesn't, that is a major uh, statement. you know. And, and he can't say, oh, well, he's, he's got a, a golf game. He, he's, he's going to Disney World or whatever. He's already done that because he put that on social media because 
Well, I'm blocked on one avenue. I'm not blocked on others. So I still see things. But right. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's if he doesn't show up, that to me speaks volumes, uh, especially since um, he lives here and he's made a big deal about living here, right? So oh, sure. For him to not be there, and, and that's what I've heard already. Anyway, is that he really hasn't been seen around the facility um, this entire offseason thus far. But then again, why would he unless he had to have an injury that he needed to rehab? Right. So there's there's a lot of uh, reasons why he doesn't have to be there, but it, again, it flies in the face of everything he's done and said yeah. in the past if he doesn't. And Paul, you mentioned all of the considerations that have to go into a Derek Carr contract, because I think there are probably a group of fans out there saying, well, he's the quarterback, just pay him. I mean, other other quarterbacks are getting paid. Why wouldn't we pay our quarterback? But you look down the line and you see, well, if you're going to keep this core together, then you're looking at Darren Waller. You're looking at Hunter Renfro. You're looking at more mouths that need to be fed here. It's a much larger puzzle that the Raiders are trying to piece together. And that's what happened last time. They, they gave Derek. And again, you look at it now, five years, $125 million is a bargain. But in the summer of 2017, that was the richest contract in NFL history for about, what, three weeks, a month, until Matt Stafford got his, Matthew Stafford got his, and, and it kept going on. And Derek's, what, about 10th or 11th on the pay scale now? So and that's just the market. That's just where it goes from now. Um, there are a lot of mouths to be fed, and again, if you take Derek at his word, you know he wants to help everybody else out. Um, you know, and, and and what Ziegler and 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 uh, and McDaniel are used to, they're used to Tom Brady taking total team discounts to help sign other guys around him. But then again, Tom Brady didn't need the money either. Not that Derek needs the money, but it's a different situation, and and that that came up uh, a few times with with those guys at the owners' meetings as well. So it's not necessarily a stalemate. Um, it's just looking for that sweet spot, and uh, that's the key. Because I did ask, ask uh, Dave Ziegler where they were in those and looking for that sweet spot. And, you know, we're just going to keep these talks in-house, which is totally understandable, and you got to respect that, too. Uh, your gut feeling, and if they can trade into the first and second round, and would they have to give up a player, a top player, do you think they'd go with draft picks? Do you think they come back up, or... Do they say, well, we got Devontae Adams, we don't want to give up any more picks for the future, so we'll just stay where we're at? The only way I could see them doing that is if they gave up a surplus player, um, where like if they get Devontae Adams and then, okay, really need another pass catcher like that, and, and fans will hate to hear it, and I'm not even advocating it, but it seems to me that Darren Waller, along with some something else, another multitude of picks, would get them back into the first round. I just don't know who's there that can help them win immediately. I mean, you know, because you're looking at Devontae Adams and, and Darren Waller, and they play out different positions, obviously. But in terms of production, okay, well, Devontae's supposed to be the guy now, so you get you you trade off Darren Waller. Okay, maybe that gets you back in the first round. But at the same point, I, I don't know. I don't know how that how that happens. Um, I get the sense that they would like to just kind of stand pat. And you know, I, and I asked Josh about this at the meetings too. And, and the most interesting. Re- um, statement or response I got from him was that the way they're going to draft, they're going to go just best player available. And he said, so if we draft three players in a row from the same position, so be it, because that's where they are. And the only way you can really have that mentality is if you're going to stand pat. Really, right. Well, Paul, if that is the case, then they're not going to draft to need what can be done with what they have left in terms of resources to address the offensive line. Well, I think that's where you find things, and, and I and I just wrote that this week too. Was you, you look at that offensive line, and you're like, they're not really going to run this thing back, are they? But then you see the money they're paying Brandon Parker. You see that okay, well, Denzel Good's coming back. Uh, they signed Alex Bars, who's very versatile in the interior. 
And then you wonder, well, I guess maybe they could because, they, you know, getting Denzel Zid back would help. But then the key to it, the whole thing to me is Alex Leatherwood because is he a tackle, is he a guard? And wherever he plays sets the tone for the rest of the line. Um, you know, they, they did find some, some quality guys in the third and fourth round earlier in, in earlier drafts. Uh, Gabe Jackson, they found him, uh, you know, day two, day three. Um, and, and I think that's where you can find some decent, some solid offensive linemen. And, and that to me is still the weak point of this team. So maybe they don't, they don't draft, move back up into the first or second round, but maybe they make some, do some maneuvering in the third to go up and get somebody they want there. And to do that, all you really got to do is swap some picks later on. Well, he is Paul Goodyear from ESPN. Follow him on Twitter at P. Goodyear. ESPN does a wonderful job covering the Raiders. Paul, thanks again. Uh, great stuff as usual. Appreciate it, guys, and uh, enjoy your time in this gross Las Vegas desert. I don't know if you there you go. <laughs> we always do. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. All right. Uh, before we get to the next segment, we've got a giveaway coming up right now, our first of two today. It's a $50 gift card to Vegas Sports and Hockey, now open in Centennial. You're going to qualify to win a grand prize. It includes a two-night stay vacation for April 28th and 29th. Paul t- talked about the draft there. You're going to be able to go to Treasure Island Hotel Casino, parking dinner at Gillies Las Vegas during the draft. That's the qualification. But if you call right now, there's a $50 gift card to Vegas Sports and Hockey, open in Centennial. Caller number 6, 702 702- 364-1100. We'll take caller number six. You might have seen him at your local YMCA arguing with a U-12 coach. Let's tee it up with Adam. Wait, it's a ref segment? Wouldn't it make more sense if it was a golf segment? Whatever. Let's tee it up with Adam Candy. Congratulations to Patrick. He won the $50 gift card to Vegas Sports and Hockey Now in Centennial. He was entered in the staycation at the Treasure Island during the draft. So, Patrick, good for you. We're going to have uh, more uh, prizes coming up in the 9, nine o'clock hour, six-foot classic subs and porta subs Yeti coolers to qualify to win those. So stay pay attention for those. All right, here we go. Teen it up with Adam Candy. Jared has come up with a... Good one in terms of golf. It happened a long time ago, but you are a golf guy. You covered the tour. We're interested in your thoughts on this. All right. So the most famous example of golf snitching is probably the first example of golf snitching that I can think of, which is Craig Stadler basically getting snitched on for using a towel so that he didn't ruin his pants. And then somehow, even though he finished second, he was assessed a two-stroke penalty, so he signed an incorrect scorecard. And was disqualified after finishing second in a tour event. Adam Candy, as our rules aficionado, as our resident referee, umpire, lines judge, what is the most ridiculous golf snitching story or situation you've ever seen or covered? Oh, it has to be every single time someone has called in from home to report something they saw on TV. There is no equivalent to this anywhere else in sports. There's nothing that you can point to and say, you know what, uh, I didn't think it was a foul, but Bobo just called in from his house and said he's got an angle on the replay and a Zoom that shows that there was a little bit of contact there, so we reversed it. The fact that golf allows people to, like, call into essentially a hotline and report something they saw as a rules violation, not only highlights how ridiculous the situation is, but highlights how ridiculous most golf rules are. 
I just don't. I, I mean, you, you, your example was perfect, but it's also at some like, are we going to start listening to the fans in any other sport? Like, oh, that's not a foul. Whoa, whoa, hold on, guys. Dave in section twenty one A. Dave, Jim from Let's Sutherland? go to the monitor. Jim Let's go Sutherland? to the monitor. Uh, the my my. This is kind of just a. It's devolved into Jared's dumb refereeing questions. That's totally fine. I don't mind answering the question because I think it highlights how insane this whole thing is, right? Can you imagine if we just said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Uh, we're going to go to the review. No, no, we're not sending it to New York to the replay center. We're doing a Twitter poll. Right? Everybody go vote right now. It's going to be like the voice and you get to decide who wins the call. And coming somehow the winner is Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> So uh, I think that's a jump ball. We're not sure. Um, my next, uh, my next one was it's opening. Um, it's opening week for baseball, so we were getting our first umpire scorecards. I am very confused. They've come out with new like graphics on umpire scorecards on Twitter or umpirescorecards.com. If you're not going to go on Twitter, and I don't understand how. Someone can have, like, so the average is 94%. Someone can be an opening day umpire and with a solid 88. Yeah, I, we're asking some sort of not totally related questions here, right? Uh, <laughs> how can someone be that umpire with 88? Because it's not just factoring in your ability to call balls and strikes. Uh, a lot of it has to do in the umpiring slash referee world with seniority, uh, with people's uh, status as a crew chief, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's not always just how good are you at this one skill. It, Go ahead. Head. Well, I want to ask you as an official because I think it's baseball. I think that's the easy answer. But other than baseball, if you were going to say which sport just keeps these guys around too long, which one it is? I think obviously it's baseball, and these guys go forever, and it doesn't matter if they're good or bad. They just they like you said, seniority rules the roost. We see, uh, you know, all these guys retire after forty years. But is there another sport as an official that you are where you say, you know what? There should be more turnover there. There should be more younger guys and gals uh, 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 trained to come into a league or to come into a sport and be better than what they have. Because I think baseball is the obvious answer. Baseball is the one sport where if you look at the officials, they don't have to do anything athletic. <laughs> it's true. No, you're right. right? NBA referees are running three miles a game easily. Uh, hockey referees are the most athletic people on the planet when it comes to officials because I can't skate like that. You imagine I have to skate like that, try not to get killed by the players and the puck, and also see the game? Yeah, you're uh, a fast and that, skater, and you're trying to out, and you're trying to keep up with guys who are probably a hundred times faster than you. Every once in a while, you have to jump up against the boards yeah, because the puck. Here comes came. Connor McDavid. I better get out of the way. Right, and oh, by the way, you better see that play. So, I, I mean, I think back to you know, 15 years ago when there was only one referee before they went to the two referee system. Only one guy wearing the stripes. He's supposed to see everything. No, it's 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 crazy. And even football, yeah, you occasionally see some older and less in shape. Uh, officials in football, but they're usually not the back judge or the you know or the you know the line judge that have to run down the field. So yeah, baseball I think just by the nature of the fact that you don't have to be making athletic movements keeps umpires around a lot longer. So I just real quick, 
a guy who who's like 88% accurate, but he's been there for 15 years, is sort of like, hey, we work at a subway. He's been here for 15 years. Yeah, one out of every 10 sandwiches his he he, he makes is poisoned, but he's been here for 15 years. There are a lot of areas in which uh, all levels of officiating can be improved. How about that? <laughs> we like that. The new Empire scorecards, by the way, I'm looking at them uh, what do you think of those? right now. I, I actually cool. like it because I love the estimated umpire zone here, right?